Welcome to the Hedgemaker Broadcast. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied to the nation of Israel many long years ago. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. He also said that the Lord sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries, located in beautiful Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, is attempting to stand in the gap and make up the hedge in these days of spiritual compromise and theological apostasy. Our biblical and historical Christian heritage challenges us to fill in the gaps left by those who have moved away from their biblical foundation. Listen now as we build up the wall and make up the hedge through sound preaching from God's Holy Word. Mark chapter 10, the message tonight, the servant and his determination. We're following the example of Lord Jesus Christ, and he's the one that has determination in this passage. Let me read these three verses. Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 34. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus went before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered into the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him and shall scourge him and shall spit upon him and shall kill him, And the third day he shall rise again. This is not the first time that the Lord predicted his resurrection, but it is one of the times that he is predicting his resurrection. According to my notes, this is the third time that Mark stresses the death and resurrection of Christ. And so he was repeatedly giving his disciples this information about the coming impending crucifixion and, of course, the subsequent resurrection Now, it says that they were going on their way to Jerusalem and Jesus went before them. So, instead of walking with them, Jesus stepped ahead of them. And evidently, he has this determination in his mind and heart to get there. In Sunday school, we read where he set his face toward Jerusalem. So, he had that determination to get there toward the end of his ministry, and I think that's where we are here in Mark 10. He's at the end, or near the end of his ministry, and so his determination to get to Jerusalem. This is interesting because he knew what was going to happen. In fact, he's predicting it here in verses 33 and 34. So we're seeing this determination, an iron determination, set his face, as a flint, I think Isaiah says it that way, to go to Jerusalem to face the cross. I want to look at three motivations for that determination. And of course, we're using the Lord Jesus as our example, as he was determined to do the Father's will, so we ought to be determined to do the Father's will. The first motivation for the determination was the purpose of the cross. Jesus knew he was going toward the cross, This is not necessarily in the text, the text of Mark, but he knew that he was going to the cross. And so let me give you three things that the cross would do. The cross was the way to save the world. 
there would be no salvation without the cross. So, of course, that would put the termination in the heart of Jesus. There's a sense in which we are looking at the life of Christ here in this incident from a human perspective. Okay, As God, he knew what was coming in the future. We have trouble understanding the connection, the overlap, between the divine nature in Christ and the human nature in Christ. As a human being, we don't know the future. Jesus knew the future, and, you know, I think in my mind, was there a breakdown somewhere? Could he somehow separate the knowledge of the future as a divine Son of God versus the absence of the knowledge of the future as a human being? How does all of that mesh together? I I don't understand all of that. But the Lord has that capacity in his mind and in his heart. And he knew what the cross was going to do and the purpose of it. When he talked to Nicodemus in John 3, he said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He already knew about those things. And so he is preaching and prophesying to Nicodemus and the rest of the disciples about his impending death. When Peter explains this, and this would be post-death, burial, and resurrection, Peter says in 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. So Peter understood by that point that the cross was the means of salvation. Of course, Paul preaches this. The gospel, he calls it is the power of God unto salvation, Romans chapter 1. Christ knew that the cross was the way to save the world. He also knew that the cross was the way to please the Father, to glorify the Father. Let's look at John's Gospel, John chapter 12, verses 27 through 28. John's Gospel, chapter 12, verses 27 and 28. There, Jesus is speaking. He says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The cross was the way for Jesus to please the Father. And uh, we'll talk more here in a moment about the will of God. Jesus is fulfilling the will of God. At one point he said, not my will, but thine be done. And so the will of the Father in this. Turn over another chapter or two to John 14. John chapter 14 and verse 31. John 14, 31. But that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. So the Lord is fulfilling the will of the Father. The cross was the way to please God, his Father. You know, sometimes we as a child are commanded, or even as an employee, commanded to do something, and it's a difficult thing to do, and we might think, well, is there another way for me to accomplish this and please my parents, please my boss, without doing it that way. From a human perspective, Jesus may have been saying that, not my will, but thine be done. How did he say that about let this cup pass 
and yet I think that's the context, not thy will, not my will, but thine be done. And so, you know, from a human perspective, there is no way to accomplish the will of the Lord except by the will of the Lord. So we need to do things the way God asks us to do things. So the glorification there. Thirdly, the cross was the way to assure his joy. Look at the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Jesus looking forward to the cross. And of course that entails the agony of the cross, the persecution of the cross, but the glory to follow. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy that was set before him. The cross was the way to assure his joy. James teaches us this in James chapter 1. We are to endure trials, basically, he's saying, that our joy might be full. This is the way that we find joy taking up our cross and following him. So the Lord gives us a wonderful example here. The motivation for this determination toward Jerusalem is because of the purpose of the cross. The cross was the way to save the world. The cross was the way to please God his Father. And the cross was the way to assure his own joy. We have the same thing. We're not going to save the world by our cross, by our trials, but it may be the way for us to find if I can use the word salvation in the sense of running through the trials. You know, we often pray, Lord, deliver me from the trial and make a bridge over the trial or a way around the trial. And it's really through the trial that we find the deliverance that we need. We find examples of that. The children of Israel walking through the wilderness and being pursued by the Egyptians and and, uh, through the Red Sea. Not around it, not over it. He made a way to go through And so that's the way the Lord brings that salvation. And, of course, we follow through, we plead the Father, and that brings us joy. A second motivation for this determination is the power of love. God so loved the world. Now, it says God so loved the world, but Jesus loved the world also. So Jesus' love for the world, love for the sinner, motivated him to go to the cross. Notice back in our text, Mark and verse 32, I believe it is. Yes. As they were on the way, in the way, going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, so he's evidently ahead of them. Let's back up just a moment. The Lord is ahead of them. Normally, the Lord is walking with his disciples. As you follow the life of Christ, he takes every opportunity to walk with them and to teach them. You don't find him... Now, he does get away to pray. You don't find him lagging behind his disciples or rushing ahead of them, but to stay with them and to teach them as they go. And he makes use of every opportunity to do that. So this is kind of unusual for him to rush ahead of them. And so this amazed them. And when they thought about it, it put fear in their hearts. So the two reactions here. They're amazed and they're afraid. Verse 32. They were underway going to Jerusalem and Jesus went before them 
And they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Okay, And so he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him. There's a drawing power here, and it's the love of Christ that drew these disciples. They were, of course, called to follow him. But when the Lord is doing something like this strangely, it would be, humanly speaking, a cause for them to say, something's not right with this fellow. And maybe it's time for us to forget about him. But they didn't. They followed him, even though they were amazed. And as they followed, fear came upon them, because they didn't know, understand, why is Jesus in such a hurry? Why is this determination taking him to this place of an unusual hurriness to, is that a word? To get ahead of us and to, uh, to move down the road to, what's, what's so important about Jerusalem that he has to set his face like a flint to get there? Jesus was evidently serious in thought and instead of paying attention to them, ahead of them, so humanly speaking, I think, his mind is elsewhere, his mind is already on the cross, and a foreboding thing. Can you imagine what was going through his mind? As the Son of God, he knew what was coming. He probably, as a human as well, and again, the, the meshing there of the human and the divine, we don't understand. So they're marveling that he's lost in thought, so to speak, and sort of unconscious to the disciples. He's rushing ahead of them. He's not usually stuck with them, paid attention to them, knew all about them. And again, we're talking here from a human perspective here, not that he is losing all of that to rush ahead of them and so forth. So they're probably bewildered. They're probably apprehensive. I mean, look, if you were in a group and all of a sudden somebody gets a cell phone call and all of a sudden they leave the group, you're on your way traveling, walking somewhere, and they leave the group, rush ahead, and they don't tell you what's going on. What would, how would you feel? Something must be wrong. Something must have happened. They don't know. And, of course, we begin to make up stories, right? And so the disciples were amazed and afraid, bewildered, apprehensive, perhaps even hesitant to move on. What's going on with this fellow? Should we go with him? Should we let him go? Not really knowing. And the text says that they followed. I like that part. Even though you're amazed at what's going on and not sure of what the Lord is doing, what should you do? Follow anyway. The disciples did that. They followed anyway. That's a good practical application here we can learn from the disciples. Gripped with fear, gripped with amazement, Yet, despite not understanding and their fear, they followed right behind Jesus. That's where you and I should go. Are there times when you don't know where Jesus is going? (laughs) What's he doing? Have you ever asked that? Lord, what's going on here? But you need to follow anyway, right? And trust the Lord that he knows what he's doing. And so keep on following him. Many people do not understand. We don't understand human nature. We don't understand the sinless nature of mankind, nor do we understand the depth of thought of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our tendency is to lag behind, to follow our understanding. What does Proverbs say? Lean not unto thine own understanding. 
but in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. And so it's the love of Christ for these disciples that I'm sure draws them to keep on following him. You and I need to recognize the love of Christ. That will help us to keep following him in spite of our amazement and our fear. They loved him. And they loved him because he first loved them. So the disciples had a love for the Lord, and they followed him as well. I think if you love the Lord, you will follow him too. And so they followed him, even though they were fearful, even though they were amazed, even though they did not understand. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15 says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then were all dead, and that he died for us, for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. John taught us in, the, in his epistle, John, 1 John 4, 18, that perfect love, which is the love of Christ, perfect love casts out fear. Okay, so when we love the Lord and the Lord loves us, that love is reciprocal back and forth, that tends to cast out fear. Now, there's another thought we can have here in all of this. Yes, the Lord rushes ahead of them. Verse 32, the Lord Jesus went before them. They, of course, were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. But then we see Christ's compassion for them. So the love continues. He took again the twelve. And he began to tell them what things should happen unto him. So again, from... Maybe a human perspective, the Lord recognizes this amazement and this fear, and the Lord does not leave us alone when we are amazed and when we are fearful. The Lord comes to us, and so he considers these disciples. He is aware, of course, of their bewilderment and their fear, their distress, this being caught in the dark, not able to see what lay ahead. And yet they followed the Lord. And so the Lord stops, I guess, at this point and took them again, turned to them, and he began to tell them what things should happen. And when it's time, the Lord begins to explain to us what is happening. We don't have to know right from the very beginning where he's taking us. Just follow. I used to tell my algebra students, math students, follow the rules. And as you follow the rules and keep on learning to follow the rules, it will begin to make sense. You know, some of them wanted, my own son was that way, he wanted me to explain how it works. I can't explain how it works. I just know here are the rules. And I know if you follow the rules, you get to the right place. And as you follow the rules, like in, in uh, what they call the math problems, word sentences, there are certain things, and I've forgotten how all that works now, uh, I have to go back and review all of that, but there are certain things you look for when you uh, when you attack a word problem, and uh, how to set up an algebraic equation, and how to solve the problem. As certain things you look for, if you follow those principles and rules, and the same thing was true in geometry, as you uh, you know basically started from point one and ended up at the at the goal, and sometimes you have to work backwards to think that way. I usually ask my wife, she asked me a question about the computer. I said, well, what's, what's your end goal? What do you want to accomplish? I mean, I can't tell you the steps, one, two, three, four, five, six, 
until I know where you're going. Tell me where you're going, and then I'll work backward in my mind, and then once I have that all figured out, I'll put it down, one, two, three, four, five, six. So that's kind of the way we're opposite of each other as to how we think that way. Opposite, but I think complementary. And so the Lord is that way as well. He has the rules set up, and uh, you follow the steps, you're going to end up at the right place. And if you try to understand everything before, uh, you say, well, I don't understand it, so it doesn't make sense to me, and so I'm not going to do it. A lot of times young people say that. And uh, we may say that as a Christian. Well, I don't understand why I have to do that. And I say, just like in math problems, you follow the rules, and as you practice that, you begin to understand, okay, if I follow this step and this one after each other, I see, now it begins to make sense. I'm not professing that if you follow all the rules in math, you will completely understand everything about math. That never has happened for me. But you understand it a little bit better. The same thing in your Christian life. You don't understand how it is that doing the certain things that Christ asks you to do is going to work. But follow what Christ has. And as you grow in your Christian experience, you begin to understand, okay, I understand a little bit. And it's it's a learning process you never completely get to the end of. But don't stop and say, well, I don't understand it. And it doesn't make sense to me. This makes more sense. Well, that's your own way. That's leaning on your own understanding. See, And and, uh, uh, Solomon said, don't do that. So follow God's rules and you'll get to the place uh, where uh, Christ wants you. Now, Jesus does stop here and he says to his disciples, let me explain a little bit about what's going on. Let me tell you why I was in such a hurry. Let me tell you what the urgency is about this. And so that's what he's doing in verses 33 through 34. Now, in this, we recognize that, and we'll, we'll talk about those on the next point, but we recognize that the Lord always meets our needs. We may have a small need, we may have a large need, but the Lord always meets our needs. He's always considerate about where we are. You know, when he's rushing ahead here, don't get the impression that the Lord is all of a sudden ignoring his disciples. Okay? I don't think that's what we ought to get from that. And it's not God's will for us to be bewildered or to be full of fear or gripped by fear. Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So fear has its roots in something other than God. God has not given us the spirit of fear. So we must learn, and what's the opposite of fear? Faith. So we need to walk by faith. It's not God's purpose for us to necessarily know all things, but it is God's purpose for us to walk by faith. Walk by faith. Live by faith. Hebrews 10, 38, 39, Now the just shall live by faith. That's a repetition from Habakkuk. I think Paul used it in Romans. The just shall live by faith. That verse there in Hebrews 10, 38, 39 continues to say, But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them which believe, that believe to the saving of the soul. 
In that passage, that's one of the problem passages in the book of Hebrews. One possible interpretation of that is, is to be like these disciples. Let's suppose these disciples were amazed and a fearful, and then they drew back and said, well, we're not following this crazy man. He's rushing. Has something wrong with him. We don't understand it, so we're cutting out. We're to walk by faith and keep stepping, keep following Jesus, even though we do not know where He's going. He's always going to lead us aright. We can trust Him for that. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff they comfort me. The shepherd always knows where he's taking the sheep. The sheep may not know. They may become fearful, but trust the shepherd and walk with him. And so we have a number of places that tell us to just trust in the Lord. Many times through the Psalms, even Isaiah, like Isaiah 12, 2. God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation So we have two motivations so far for this determination. One is the purpose of the cross. The cross is the way to save the world. The cross was the way to please God His Father. The cross was the way to assure His own joy. And the power of Christ's love. That was a motivation for this determination. Christ loved the world. There's another motivation. And that's the surrender of Jesus Christ to God's will. Surrender to God's will. Notice back in our text, chapter 10 of Mark, the verses where he begins to explain what was going to happen. Verses 33 and 34. Saying, he began to tell his disciples what things should happen. Saying, behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death. Alright, the chief priests and the scribes are basically the Jews. The Jewish people will condemn him to death. And then he says, the last part of verse 33, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. So the Jews will turn Christ over to the Gentiles. That's basically to the Romans, to Herod, to those who were non-Jewish. And then it says, they shall mock him and shall scourge him and shall spit upon him and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. So, the Jews will condemn him. The Gentiles will crucify him. Now, the Bible credits both Jew and Gentile for the death of Christ. When I was in college, there was a song, Who Killed Jesus? And the answer is, I killed Jesus. You killed Jesus. We sent Christ to the cross. He died for us, the sins of the whole world. You know, we want to try, every time something happens, we want to try to blame somebody else. Well, so crazy Jewish people. Now, I was a Roman soldier. There was Herod. It doesn't matter. They were all involved in it. Jew, Gentile, the whole world crucified Christ. Of course, all by the determinate counsel of God. That's amazing, isn't it? And yet, we're all responsible for the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, he would be delivered to the Jews who would condemn him, and then he would be delivered to the Gentiles who would torture and crucify him condemned and crucified. Two different stages. You know, when we try to get somebody in trouble, we condemn them. There are people in the world who try 
to get people in trouble. They have a, a word knack for it. They have, they have a determination for that. There may be some degree where we're all involved in that getting somebody in trouble or at least condemning them. And we say, well, I didn't crucify them. I didn't kill them, but we condemned them. Then the Gentiles would say, well, we just crucified him because the Jews condemned him. He was a violator of their law, and so we just did what they told us to do. You know, we want to shift the blame, and we want to say, well, I wasn't responsible for this person getting in trouble. We call it in our law system being an accomplice to a crime. But what I find here with the Lord Jesus Christ is that he is surrendered to the will of God. And as a servant of Christ, you and I need to have a determination to follow the will of God. We need to be surrendered to the will of God. This is Dr. Lee Hennies, and we want to thank you for listening to the Hedgemaker broadcast today. Most of our broadcasts are portions of a sermon that I have preached at church. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries is the preaching, teaching, and writing ministry for myself. You can visit us on the web at hedgemaker.org. And let's be encouraged to stand in the gap and make up the hedge until Jesus comes again. Music